It's Friday, June 19th. We're studying through 2 Peter. We've reached the end of the book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. This is the 65th episode, so you've been with us and you've actually watched all of them. Congratulations, that's a big deal. you got one more to watch, which is this one. Here we go. Let's take a look at the very last verse of 2 Peter, contrasting that with just where we were yesterday in verse 17, because it's a hard contrast. You can see in verse 18 it starts with this contrastive conjunction, but... And it's contrasting the fact that there's a lot of lawless people out there trying to get you to lose your stability in Christ, trying to pull you off the road as we talked about yesterday. And he says, but you've been warned, you know this beforehand, so you better guard yourself, take care as it's translated here. You ought to be certainly very vigilant and careful about your life so that you're not carried away by all their teaching. Instead of that, now we're going to end on a positive note. Here's the positive way to state it. What we need, that's just a good defense. Here's a good offense. Verse 18, you need to be growing, right? Grow, here's the command, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it ends with what we call a doxology because the word glory is the Greek word doxa. To him, this is the the wish, if you will, the optative, the the sense of asking God uh, to see this happen. We want this to be. We're asking people to see that it happen in their lives, that they affirm the same. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity, which is an interesting way to talk about uh, the eternality of the eternal state. You've got the day, which reminds us that day is a series of events, so often in prophetic language. Um, anyway, all right, amen. We'll get to all that in a second if we have time. We'll try. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I want to deal with just this as the good offense in the Christian life to grow in these two things. Grace, it says, and knowledge. It's all related to who Jesus is, but grace and knowledge. Now, grace, you think of so often in, as it relates to justification, And that is that we get grace given to us in the gospel that you and I get to stand before God as holy and fully accepted and fully qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As Colossians 1 says, we are completely made right. If we're the thief on the cross, in that instantaneous moment, we get all of that favor and acceptance given to us and granted to us instantaneously. That's called justification. Well, we've been talking throughout first. Uh, Second Peter, particularly in chapter 1, the first chapter, about sanctification, about growing. Of course, if we're Christians, uh, then we need to start growing in Christ. Our behavior, our activity, our priorities, our thoughts, our words, all those things, our conduct, it needs to look more and more like Christ. We need to, as First Peter 1 says, be uh, reflecting the holiness of God in all of our behavior. So that is the conformity to the will of God in my day-to-day life. And that is what we're dealing with here. Because you can't grow in the other grace, but you can certainly grow in this grace. Grace means, remember, uh, not just favor, but uh, related to that, the, the kind of approval or the kind of, of pleasing uh, response you get from someone. Uh, to, to be well-pleasing to the Lord, as we would say, biblically, it's a biblical concept, uh, is to say that my actions today are pleasing to God. And it may not be, of course, it probably won't be that all of my actions today, but we want more and more of our actions today and more and more of our days to be. Generally speaking, we say that's a good day. It pleased the Lord. The things that I did in that temptation or that situation or that opportunity, it pleased the Lord. And that is the idea here of growing in grace. And of course, the means by which that happens, we've got to be able to know what it is we're supposed to do. So we need the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all the things that he taught, right? The Great Commission to teach them to observe all that I commanded. Well, as we get that knowledge and as we put it into practice, our life becomes more well-pleasing to the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 
4, we've dealt with this already, but real quick, as Paul ends, uh, or at least ramps up, as he says finally here in 1 Thessalonians, is we ask you and urge you, strong words, in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, well, what do you mean? This is information they got. Well, there's the knowledge part. On how you're supposed to walk, that's your behavior part, and to please God. So it's pleasing behavior. This is the kind of thing that we would uh, encapsulate in that word grace, that this is well-pleasing stuff. I want to grow in more well-pleasing things that I do. This is the information. This is the application of the information. He says, just as you were doing, I mean, you're making progress here. He says, but here's what we want. We're urging and asking what? That you do so more and more. We want to see more of that. We want to, that's the whole point of Peter's ending to this letter, right? This last, well, second to last sentence here, he's saying you need to see that happen increasingly. There's the, you know, not just a good defense to be careful of false teachers and mockers, but a good offense in growing in a pleasing way to the Lord. We want to please more and more. And of course, here's again, just to show the tie here, the means by which that happens. He says, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord, and he's going to reiterate some of that here in First in Thessalonians chapter 4. But the instruction, the information, the biblical information that Peter's just provided and all the rest of it, even the things that Paul writes that are hard to understand as we saw here in this chapter, all of that scripture, all that scripture feeds us and drives us to be more like God as we put it into practice. See the connection here in Colossians chapter 1. He says, since today we heard their faith, their conversion, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with, here's our idea again of the means by which this happened, filled with the knowledge of his will. And I know as, as Paul told the Corinthians, knowledge can puff up, but not when it's applied, right? He says love builds up. When we put all that into action and do what we should do with that knowledge, right? That's why he talks now about wisdom and understanding. Those are the words we've seen it in James, where you put these things into practice in a wise and appropriate way. We know how to skillfully put God's truth and the knowledge of God's truth and the knowledge of Jesus into action. And here's his word. He loves this word, peripateo, to walk the habit of your life in a manner that it's worthy of the Lord. And I'm sure there are things you could look at in your life this week, say, well, that wasn't you know, worthy of God. It doesn't live up to the standard, it doesn't reflect his holiness. We, that wasn't an action or a thought or a sentence that was conformed to the image of Christ, as Romans 8 says. That's what we want. And of course, here it is again. This relates to the idea of grace, pleasing to the Lord, a well-pleasing thing. I want to grow in more of that. And how do we do that? Well, we bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. There's the means to do it. And I just want to show this here in relation to this idea of grow. And I guess that's where I want to go next for just a minute. This is an analogy, of course, and it analogizes a few things in the Christian life. It's such a frequent analogy. And occasionally it's about a body, right? A little baby, it's young. I think of Corinthians and Hebrews talk about the idea of the growth of of a human body. But most often it's an agrarian illustration. It's figurative metaphorical language for us growing like a plant would grow. And it starts with a seed, right? This is illustration of evangelism here in Matthew 13. Talks about the good soil, right? And what is that thing that's sown, that seed, the gospel? It's the word of God. In context, it's the gospel words of Christ. And those who get it, who understand it, who've been granted that great gift of salvation, uh, they hear it, they understand it, and they start doing this thing. And the analogy we're talking about, that seed that was sown starts bearing fruit. And it does in all kinds of capacities, some a hundredfold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. And if you look at that, what would we want? What would Peter want? Well, we want to grow with more well-pleasing things that we're doing, and the means by which we're going to get there is the knowledge of God. So we want to shoot for hundredfold, so to speak, hundredfold fruitfulness. And it starts with making sure I'm saved. 
And then we've got to look at John 15 here. We've got to make sure that we are abiding in Christ. He says, I'm the true vine, Jesus says. My father is the vine dresser or the farmer, right? He's cultivating it. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We've talked about that in um, 2 Peter chapter 2 about, for instance, the false teacher that we had even among the apostles, right? Judas himself, he got taken out. Of course, he wasn't a genuine convert of Christ. He didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in him. Matter of fact, it talks about him being filled with Satan. But the point is, uh, every branch that does bear fruit, right, whether it's Peter, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel, whatever, it says he's going to prune them. He's, he wants more fruit. He wants them to grow in these things. He prunes them that they might bear more fruit. Again, remember, this is all steeped in metaphorical symbolism, right? The, the idea of bearing fruit. There's no fruit popping off your body. Your body's not getting any bigger. You're not growing, you know, to take up more space on the planet. But the idea is all these things, well-pleasing things, through the knowledge that you're learning in the Bible as you study it, as you read it, right? He says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And that can go back to that metaphor of a seed that is the gospel that's changed who you are. You're a Christian now. But now here's some of the means as well. You've got to abide in me. That relationship, you have to be connected with me. Like a branch can't bear fruit, as he goes on to say. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. You can't have a branch on the ground that's fallen off from the vine and it bears fruit. It's not going to do that. You've got to be connected. And the connection, of course, are on the things, are all about the things that Jesus has been talking about, to hear his words, to obey his words, to do what he says, for them to speak to the Lord. In our case, for us to pray, our prayer life, our Bible study. These are the kinds of things that get to the place where we're bearing fruit, and we can't do that unless we are abiding or remaining or connecting, drawing near to the Lord in those spiritual disciplines. And I'm probably pressing this too far, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just to see this analogy everywhere, Paul comes along in this passage as the evangelist who plants the church wins people to Christ. He planted Apollos, who in this passage in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, we're reminded that even as he's introduced in the scripture, he's the one who's an eloquent man, he's a great speaker, he's competent in the scriptures. So Paul plants, he gets them saved, Apollos comes along and teaches them, and then we see this picture again of growth. This is the idea of growth. We see more and more well-pleasing behavior uh, which Paul is really working toward. He's kind of coming in and cultivating that in the letter of 1 Corinthians because they are having problems. They need to live more like Christ. And so he's dealing with that. But growth, of course, fruit, we use those words all the time in our Christian life. And we could get into the details of this, but for the sake of time, we won't. The idea of growing, we know that when we're talking about fruit, in these passages that speak of fruit, we're talking about bearing fruit to God. What we're dealing with is the opposite, for instance, of things that would be expressed through your sinful passions here in Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Or in Romans chapter 6, verses 21 and 22, talking about fruit in this passage, talking about the things that we do, in this case, as being slaves to God. Another example, another analogy here, we're set free from those things that really result in nothing but corruption and death, and we're involved in things, this word sanctification, the word holy, uh, we're seeing more and more sanctification as we're bearing that fruit, no longer enslaved to our passions, but enslaved to the will of God. And of course, this precedes chapter 7, but these two work together and show us the idea of what it means to bear fruit. All right, more can be say on, said on that, but I want to get to this doxology. Here's the word doxa, glory. And what I want to point out here is that it says to him. Usually the doxologies of the Bible are uh, focusing our attention on the greatness, the majesty, the wealth, the glory, the honor of God the Father. Well, in this passage, it's clear the him, the antecedent to that pronoun is Jesus, because he is the Lord and the Redeemer, the Savior and the Messiah. And we are to give him glory, which is crazy when you think about it, unless he is God incarnate. 
I mean, here's Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, when the devil takes him to the high mountain and says, Worship me, and, and I'll give you all this. And Jesus says, Be gone, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So this worship and this service of worship is only to be given to the true God. I mean, the, the, the uh, Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, this is what, what's taught. And yet here is Jesus receiving worship throughout his ministry and embedded in the letters of the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 19 here. You see in verses 9 and 10 that when the angel is overwhelming John with this amazing news of the marriage supper of the Lamb here in verse number 9, it says he fell down at his feet in verse 10 to worship him. And of course the angel goes, well, you, don't, you can't do that just because I'm you know, hanging out in a different dimension as a spiritual being. I'm not God. He says, you, sh you shall not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers. Who are we serving? Well, we're serving and holding to the testimony of Jesus, and we only worship God. And of course, Jesus is taking that worship all the time. Matter of fact, look at John chapter 5. I know I quote this a lot, but John chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Let's just at least jump into a few of these things. It talks about the giving of life. Not only does the Father do that, it says the Son does that. For the Father judges no one. I know He's the judge of all the world, the Bible says, but all that's been given to the Son. And all of that is, right, the giving of life and the judgment of the life that was created was that all may honor the Son. This is the worship word. This is the idea of giving uh, the kind of, of glory and honor and wealth and, and, and praise to this personage, right? In this case, you must honor the Son. It's a great Greek word here, a strong Greek word, kathos, just as to the same amount, to the same way that you'd honor the Father. As a matter of fact, if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. You can only really worship the God of the Bible, and you can only, only give your praise to the Father when you say, you know, hallowed be your name, right, our Father who's in heaven. Well, if you're honoring the Son, you have to worship the Son, which is a crazy thought here. To Him be glory and honor. It's a crazy thought only if you don't believe in the deity of Christ. A lot of people don't go to these passages when they're trying to show someone that they've got the wrong theology about Christ, but you should because these are the kinds of things in the Bible tucked in there everywhere that make the New Testament fit so well together regarding the the greatness of Jesus and who he is. Uh, all right, let's just get with this last word of the whole book here. Amen. It's a transliteration of a Greek word, which is a Hebraic expression, a Hebrew, uh, Hebrew expression of affirmation. I just give you one example here. Uh, when we see this word in the text, you know that it's pronounced almost the same way in Greek, Hebrew. The idea here in this text, Deuteronomy 27, uh, we see it uh, in a lot of places, but when they're giving these curses and saying these are things you shouldn't do and bad things should happen to these people, here's an example of several in this chapter. Cursed is anyone who dishonors his father or his mother and all the people said, that's right. I affirm that. That's true. That's the way it ought to be. Cursed be everyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, stealing property. And all the people said, amen. That's right. That should be. Cursed is everyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people said, yes, that's right. That's the way it ought to be. Amen. So in all of this, and it's just for your knowledge here, but the idea of amen is an affirmation, comes from Hebrew, transliterates into Greek and English, and that idea is just affirming that all this is the way it ought to be. May it be like that. So be it. You might have heard the old English expression defining amen that way. Uh, I like to say, you know, it's, it's the definition. You can say that that's right, that's good, that's the way it ought to be, right on. That's the idea of this word, and after all this great stuff we've had in the book, that's how it ends. So 
There you go. There's the book of 2 Peter for you. I want to give you something to chew on here and to work through. And so these 65 episodes, my labor of love to try and give you some insight into this great book. And uh, if you haven't seen them all, go back and watch them all. If you thought they were good, share them. And uh, I really appreciate you watching these. It's a good thing. It makes all this work and effort, both for our tech guys and everyone who's involved in this, makes it worth it for us when we know that you're ingesting it and it's been a good experience for you. So thanks so much. Appreciate you watching the study of Second Peter.